Hello from Temple Bar, Dublin. That opening track was from Ashling Lyons and Martha Guiney, recorded at City Hall Dublin at Tradfest in January of 2019. And today I'm delighted to be speaking to the renowned fiddle player, singer and composer, Moraid Nivuenig from Donegal. Moraid, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Kieran. How are you? I'm great. Look, it's great to be talking to you. I met you recently, and I suppose I should apologise first. There's a bit of work going on next door, so we may hear an odd thump or bang going on. That's nothing to do with what's going on in this room. It is happening elsewhere. 
But I met you recently uh, at the recording for Tradfest 2021, and there was a fantastic sense of being yes. just a sense of fun about everybody that the, was there. Everyone was there and we were rejoicing in seeing people again and playing music again for the first time since last March. You know, so it's just been it's been just such a whirlwind of a year. Uh, little did we think uh, we'll say in early 2020 that we'd be talking like this in 21, you know. But uh, just an incredible um, feeling when we met people and also to play music together. It was a whirlwind year for so many people. But And I'll talk to you about that because you had major plans with Alton this year and other plans also, and things got affected in different ways. Uh, but can we just go back a little maybe to yourself and your family and your development? I've been speaking to uh, Moraid Nigonel, Trina Nigonel, Moya Brennan, uh, yourself, uh, Liz Doherty, all mm-hmm. these amazing sort of leaders uh, in <laughs> traditional music, all women, all from Donegal. Why is that? Oh, I'd say it's because of the rain. (laughs) (laughs) It nourishes us. (laughs) But how how come that the tradition has kind of evolved through that county? I think, um, you know, like a lot of the western coastal counties, there's been, there was and there is a strong tradition here, uh, especially northwest Donegal, mostly with the song tradition, you know, the very rich song tradition in the Gaelic and in the ballad English singing tradition as well. And then, you know, there is that thing of being cut off, to be honest with you, you know, from the rest of the of the country um, makes you more inwardly, I suppose, uh, because politically we're cut off from the rest of the Republic by Northern Ireland and our only little link is through Leitrim, you know, so that affects you. I think it affects your mind. So therefore, you know, when you're working in the music business, you tend to, well, not even the business in the art of playing music, you become very proud of your own little corner. And I think uh, the people that you've mentioned there, you know, Clanny Gonil and Mwayuni Vrenan and the great Liz Doherty, you know, we we just um, need to express ourselves as much as everyone else, but uh, it maybe becomes more intense. (laughs) But an interesting aspect of that, of course, of late, is that you have worked with all those women in different groupings. And again, that's something I'd like to speak to you about a little later, but I'm trying to get back to your roots and how you became a musician, a singer and a composer. I know it was in the blood. Your father was famous, of course, as a composer yeah. and a musician. Was there music in your family before his time? Yes, his, his mother was a renowned uh, concertina box player. But, uh, but that would only come out maybe once a week. His, his house was a, a Sunday night Cayley house, you know, and... Uh, people would come and they'd read the papers. My grandfather would read about the World War or whatever, you know, what was happening in politics and then discuss it. And out of that would be a cup of tea and maybe a few songs. And the great um, Shen Boyan Magriana used to come from Ranafast with a fiddle under his oxter over the bog to my 
grandparents' house. And that's where Francie, my father, first saw the fiddle. And he was really taken by this gorgeous instrument, you know. And Shanbuen noticed that the young boy beside the fireside was taking note of his instrument. And he said to him in Irish, uh, which means when when this one will have a young one, I'll give it to you as if it was a cow, you know. <laughs> and, so, um, and when did he actually get to play a fiddle? Well, he didn't get the fiddle then because they were very expensive and very rare. So he went to college in Dublin and bought a fiddle then. But up until then, he would be a whistle player and a fife player. He played the fife. And he'd bring the whistle to school with him every day. And there was a wee stone he showed me that he'd sit on and uh, he'd play uh, all the time on that, you know, on the on the stone every day at lunchtime. So he was a, a very good uh, child to be so um, kind of the rear of, you know, to be so interested in the music, to be playing it every day. That's that's very interesting. So he was he was really he was late coming to the fiddle, really. He was. He was at college in Dublin and uh, he bought a, a second-hand fiddle and Shano Kassadja was one of his lecturers and he gave him a few lessons, uh, who was um, Machua Kassadja's grandfather, actually. Oh, and uh, Shano Kassadja then... Uh, well, Francie had all the tunes in his head, so all he had to do was learn a scale and then off he went and he, he played all his local tunes, you know. And then, um, so my mum as well, Katirua, the way he met her was, her house was a Cayley house in Schlihan, which was the other side of Gidor, the parish of Gidor. And himself and his best mate and neighbour, Jimmy Dini O'Gallagher, who's a great singer actually, uh, would go over and uh, Francie would play a few tunes and Jimmy would sing a song. And that's how they met their uh, future wives, Kitty Rua and Nan, at that. So uh, the music really brought my parents together. By the way, how is Kitty Rua? I had the pleasure of meeting her a couple of years ago. <laughs> Kitty, she's 93 going on 21. That's fair <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's so funny. She's in great form. Thank you for asking. And uh, a very happy person, very much living on her own very independent and um, we're blessed that she's so happy in herself and of course this time of the year for kitty and for all the omwenic family of course was a busy time you were telling me that she did quite a lot of baking and cooking and stuff in the months leading up to christmas and there and afterwards actually yes well um so my mum had very old recipes that she got from her own uh, grandmother and they were uh, the biggest uh, and nicest one was um, the cloth dumpling she used to start making. She used to start baking these straight after Halloween. And we'd come home from school and there'd be all these balls, we'd call them, in cloths hanging all around the kitchen. And the smell of cinnamon and mixed spice and all spice and what would, uh, you know, cloves and all these Christmassy smells were all over the house for about two months you know and uh, everyone in the parish used to try and get her to bake one of these for her and it took hours to boil like 12 hours boiling and then 
uh, you leave it to dry and then an hour to boil it before you take the cloth off and like it was a, it was a ritual and we all used to partake in it and actually this is the first year we didn't actually make any dumplings because of the pandemic and trying to keep distance and all of this so um but uh, hopefully next year we will resume <laughs> the tradition <laughs> She's a lovely woman, as I said, and that story about her and all that baking and getting ready for the Christmas. By the way, did any of that rub off on you? None at all. <laughs> I am the worst baker. But my sister, Anna, now, she's fantastic. She's written it all down. And it's, there, there's no measurements. It's a Craig, as we would call it, which would be a handful of this and a handful of that. So she kind of measured the Craig my mother had. My mother has the same hands as I have, a huge big hands you know and she was able to measure how much around about how much of everything kitty put in so Anne has it all written down so hopefully now we'll be able to resume the tradition next year well we certainly look forward to that with <laughs> renewed hope you mentioned your hands there of course and you are a renowned fiddle player did you wait as long as your father before you started the fiddle nearly actually i I used to sing and sing away around the house and I never really got into the fiddle until I was about 10. Um, there weren't a lot of young people playing during the 60s when I was a child. It was a rare thing to see children playing. And, you know, it was only in my teenage years when I met you, actually, uh, I remember down in Galway, I had only started around that time to really seriously play music. Um, just meeting people, contemporary peers, you know, of your own age playing the music made it more viable for me and made it more interesting for me to to practice, to learn. And it was just such a social passport, really, to be able to play music and make friends through music. So I was fairly late as well compared to other friends. That's another uh, interesting aspect of the music. I mean, people think about Donegal now and they think the place is awash with traditional musicians and singers and dancers and performers. But in your generation, as you were growing up in, in through the 60s, uh, it wasn't quite that. It was exactly the same as that in Clare. Uh, certainly in Ennis, there was very little, uh, apart from a certain cohort of young people playing traditional music. So... Uh, people would find it hard to believe nowadays that there was so little of it around. <laughs> well, that's true because it's so rampant and so popular now, but you had to seek it out. Like, I remember getting my father to travel down to the other side of County Donegal. Like, Donegal's fairly big. So we'd go down to Kilcar or to Carrick to meet John Doherty, uh, the Jarrigs, the Byrne brothers. You know, I just wanted to meet all these people because I heard them on Radio Nagiltarta and I wanted to meet these men. And I was really lucky because I met most of them before they passed away and I was able to play with them. And it's only now that I realised that all these uh, heroes of mine, they were all male. And uh, with all the fair play and Misha Foss starting up, you know, recently, I realised I was kind of... A, a lady musician playing in a man's world but I never thought of it like that and in fairness to the men I was playing with I I think they made me feel so welcome I never thought of gender at all. <laughs> yeah I, I, I would imagine they didn't either because 
Was it just, was it, was it seen as a man's pastime? Well, I think it was. In retrospect, I've been speaking to a lot of older ladies who wanted to play music but were uh, stopped because it wasn't a lady's thing to do. But in fairness, when I was playing music, I never thought I'm a girl playing music with these fellas or they're, they, these are all men that are playing the fiddle. I never, ever thought in that way. I only looked at it as the music. The music spoke, you know. Mm. Uh, your father, I presume, was your earliest influence then on the fiddle. Oh, he was, uh, Francie. With, uh, he, he always played in the house. Now, there wasn't a lot of sessions going that time. So we, we, ha we were very lucky as... The same kind of people would come to the house, you know, we'd have Denny McLaughlin coming from Bunkrana, for instance, and he was a very fine fiddle player and uh, was a very good teacher as well. And I, I noticed this because uh, in raising my own child, we would never listen to what my father would say, but if somebody else told us how to play, we'd, we'd listen to them more. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, with Francie, you kind of got around Denny to teach us a few tunes on the fiddles as well. And we would kind of be mannerly towards maybe the the visitor while if my father said, try and learn this tune. Like, and this has happened to me again, you know, because my daughter exactly did the same thing. If somebody else taught her, she'd learn it so well. And if I was teaching her, she wouldn't pay any heed to me. So it all came back to haunt me in the end. <laughs> so the, the penny has dropped. You said there that your father would persuade ye or persuade somebody to teach ye. So, that, yeah. so that's your family. Who were the other members of your family? Well, Garage, my brother, my older brother, Garage, he, he started off playing the flute and the pipes and then he went to college to Galway and they were far too noisy. So he decided to get something that was more... <laughs> So he decided to start playing the guitar when he went to Galway to college. And then my sister, who's the most musical of us all, Anna Nguini, she played the concertina, the whistle. She Anything she put her hand to, she was able to play. And she didn't have to really work too hard at it. But she never kept anything up. You know, she plays a little on the whistle yet. But, um, you know, I had to work really hard on my instrument and I had to kind of put time into it. I, uh, and I think that's why I stuck to it because I had the fiddle under my chin most of the time. <laughs> now, you came to Dublin, of course, then to study and to become a teacher, which you did. You achieved yeah. that. And then you decided, I'm sure it wasn't <laughs> as quickly as that, I'd like to be a professional musician. Well, it all happened in a strange way, you know, I think it's to do with fate, really, in retrospect, because the music uh, started to become fairly popular when I went to college in Dublin. And there was a lot of openings to play music, folk clubs, you know, the Tradition Club in Cable Street with Finbar Boyle and, you know, um, a lot of uh, festivals to play. Uh, at and stuff like that so it was really interesting uh, an interesting time and exciting time as well so I decided to after a few years teaching to why not you know go professional <laughs> so how would that have gone down with your parents then that you were making this it, it was a big decision at that time it was a big decision but sure 
I, we, I was young and mad. <laughs> um, just uh, my father advised me, well, what about your pensionable job yeah. and all of this? And I, I suppose when you're in your 20s, it's the last thing you're thinking about. And there was an opportunity to travel, to see the world. And really, if you're in any way um, fistra or, you know, you know, trying to uh, learn the best way to learn is to travel, you know, and I think it's been the best uh, university I ever went to, that all the travel I've been doing. And was it in college that you met Frankie? No, I met Frankie in Gidor before going to college. I was, I think I was 14 years old and playing a session with Francie and Garage and Judy Bugs and Frankie arrived in. He was starting college in Queen's University. And would you believe this? I just noticed him right away. I knew I was going to marry him right away. Now, how did that come into my head? I don't know. And he felt the same, but he didn't play at all that time. Oh. And uh, he went back to um, he went back to Belfast and started going to the traditional music sessions there, and started to play whistle and was encouraged to pick up the flute by his friends that he started to meet there. Tara Bingham, Gary Hastings, uh, Desi Wilkinson, all these great uh, flute players. And he started playing the flute. And that's how we would converse nearly just by learning tunes together. A bit like translation in reverse. <laughs> it certainly is. But I, I, I'm amazed. I, I actually thought he had begun playing music before that because... His impact in Alton when he when he'd play together as a group, but when he would arrive with the concert flute, he would just yeah. almost take over that sound. He was able, he had a he was a driving force in the music. Oh, he was such a well. He was obviously very musical. He came from a very musical family. His his mum was a lovely jazz singer, and uh, Bill Kennedy from the Glens of Antrim. He played the, the mouth organ. But, you know, obviously he had an innate musical talent, uh, took up the flute very quickly and put a lot of work into it. And, um, you know, he he was very, very, very um, proud to be a Belfast man, um, loved the flute tradition from both sides of the divide, had a pride about him, you know. I hadn't realised now that he was, you know, kind of late enough coming to traditional music on the concert flute because he played it as if he owned it all his life, basically. Yes, well, so he would have been 18 years when he started playing. Oh. Would you believe that? Yeah. That, that, that'd be late in my book now. That, that would be late in any book. So <laughs> he, always, he, he, he always said uh, that that was, uh, that, well, being a perfectionist, as he always had been, he said that was one of the his regrets that he hadn't taken up an instrument prior to that. But I don't think he missed out on anything, to be honest with you. No, well, I know. And he passed away, sadly, just all too young. But the one abiding memory I have of him, actually, I met you in New York, uh, <laughs> maybe a, a year or two before he passed away. But the abiding memory I have of you is any time you left Frankie Kennedy, you left smiling and maybe not <laughs> laughing at his jokes but maybe just smiling anyway because yeah. his jokes weren't great but he was great to tell them <laughs> well that's true he loved he had a fantastic sense of humor i have to say and that was one of his 
uh, most attractive qualities. Like, you know, he was just, it was, it was always great fun, great laughter, um, camaraderie. We always uh, looked at life with, you know, that lightness, you know. And um, when, when then, when, when he did get sick, it was a very hard blow. Uh, but he he carried it with such great uh, courage and selflessness, you know. Well, uh, actually, what I felt about that at the time, Maureen, was uh, you you wouldn't walk away feeling guilty having met him. You know what I mean? That he, no. he, he carried that himself and he just discouraged you from kind of taking it on board. Yeah, he, he wasn't into over-sentimentality or anything. He was very kind of practical about it and... You know, when he did pass away, I think he was really preparing me and his family to try and deal with such a great loss. And it was a huge loss that I never, ever, ever got over, to be honest with you, if I'm very honest. But um, he, his, his way of approaching his, his, his ill health was so inspiring. And it humbled me, and it still humbles me, the way he actually approached his uh, his his um, cancer. It was it, it was incredible. Yeah, inspiring is probably the word I yeah. would describe him. You did yeah. run the Frankie Kennedy Winter School, of course, towards the end of the year uh, in his memory, and you ran that oh. for quite some time. But then you took his name off that, or what? What was the thinking around all of that? So the Frankie Kennedy Winter School. Um, that lasted for about 20 years and the last few years of it Frankie's mum Agnes Kennedy she always wanted to be part of the winter school and come to the school every year and it was becoming a bit of a it was hard on her because she was getting old and immobile and I just felt it was a pressure on all of the Kennedy family to partake in that school and it was going on 20 years and I the only time I ever took a, an executive decision about the school was that year when I felt it was just becoming too much trouble on the family and we decided to to make it the final year after 20 years and Frankie would have applauded us I think and uh, then my brother and sister who had kept the winter school going for the 20 years decided to give it to the local common um, who wanted to to take over and help and they also have a great traditional music school that continues all year round here in Anhranog. So it was a, a beautiful transition I think and it, it made a lot of sense. And of course, Skull Givery continues to this day, as does Alton, by the way. You had made your plans <laughs> this year, you put them on hold. So what's the plan for 21, assuming things settle in some way? So Alton, for 2021, we definitely have to make an album. So that's definitely on the cards. But as regards uh, touring, we're going to try and fulfil the tour that we didn't finish in the US by the end of the year and also finish our we were supposed to go to Austria which we hope to do by December 
and uh, then we don't really know but we're living in hope that we can still uh, survive as a band just like every other professional band trying to make a living. I know from previous conversations with you Mairead that although it has been an incredibly challenging year you found it sort of fulfilling in other ways that you hadn't expected. It was just like it's every cloud has a silver lining <laughs> and although initially I was totally frightened and in fear because I'm a single parent with a child and I wanted to be as safe as possible that the world will be as safe as possible for her but then I as I got into the lockdown and realized if we stayed our distance and kept safe I started to play more music than I've ever done and compose more music and it's just been a lovely time of reflection and being at home with my people and I don't think I'll ever want to travel again. <laughs> it's really a time of reappraisal, maybe reassessment of your life because I suppose when you're on the road, you're on the road, you're not looking sort of that far ahead, you're working with your band, the future is there in front of you uh, but mm. when you hit something like we did recently, it just causes you to have another look at what you're doing with your career. Yes, as it, you know, I haven't really stopped touring uh, since Frankie passed away, which is like, that's it's incredible to think that. But it, it was a way of kind of running away from reality. And now, you know, this has really got me to stay in the one place, prioritise what is really important. And actually, the music has you know, I, I haven't really stopped playing and it's been very, very important. This, of course, Maureen, wouldn't be the first time that you were doing solo work because you did bring out a solo CD many years ago, Imel, from what I remember. So have you plans maybe to follow up and do some more? Yes, I, I decided to, to make a solo album as well because a stone throw from my house, Manus Lonnie has a house and a studio and why not use it while I'm still here? Uh, there's nothing much happening for another few months. So I'm going to make an album there and I'm very lucky to have that facility so close to my house. Of course, it wouldn't be your first time using that studio because a couple of years ago, of course, yourself and the Mooney family made a CD and Manus was very much part of that. Yes, uh, we've adopted Manus as one of our like he's a lonnie and he can be part of the loonies <laughs> but um yes it's very it's a, it's such a great facility to have in the locality and to have somebody so musical engineering it like manis is an incredible engineer musically and he kind of has this other sense that he seems to pick up on what you want to uh how you want the thing to sound you know so he he kind of knows us pretty well so we had a great time there you know Kieran Omini and myself being professional musicians and then my brother Garage not ever being on the road playing enjoyed it, the process so much and it was great to have Anna my sister in because she works in the film industry and she had to kind of start focusing on her music again and sing and play and then my daughter had to go in and kind of work professionally as a musician in a studio situation. And of course, Kieran Omini is married to the wonderful Kathleen Gowan, 
who is uh, the wonderful concertina player, and she gives us all a good look, I think. <laughs> By the way, you mentioned your daughter there, that's Nia. Did she, yes. uh, do, do you think that this may have given her the bug in some way? Oh, she has had the bug for a while now. <laughs> um, she loves playing. She's very shy, but very confident in her music, which is a lovely combination. I wish I had her confidence. Um, it's really great to be able to experience all these things. She's she's kind of very uh, fortunate to be in a situation where her father plays professionally, I play professionally. Her life revolves around music and all her friends are fantastic musicians as well. So she she will have a, a nice time, I think, in the future as well. So the tradition continues in so many ways. From your point of view, Moraid, we mentioned your solo career, which looks like you're going to be doing a bit more in 2021 along that. But you've also been involved in some interesting collaborations, let's say String Sisters. How did that come about and who was in it? That was an amazing thing. It happened nearly 20 years ago now. But it, Katrina MacDonald happened to ring me one time and it, it, it was in the winter of I, 20 years ago, whenever that was, <laughs> 2000, I suppose, or maybe 1999. But uh, she said, would I be interested in playing with all these amazing fiddle players that I had heard of, all right? And I said, oh, please put my name down for that. And we had a great rehearsal, uh, a few weeks rehearsal in Glasgow prior to our first concert, which was in the concert hall in Glasgow at Celtic Connections. And then because everybody, like there was people like Liz Carroll, who's one of our, all our favorite fiddle players and Liz Knowles, who's an amazing musician uh, from America. And then you had Emma Hardlin from Sweden, who's a fantastic singer and fiddle player. So it was nice to meet someone with the same interests as myself. And of course, Anne Björglien from Norway. And then of course, Katrina MacDonald from the Shetland Islands. And it's just a, been a beautiful combination of uh, very interesting, you know, the, everyone brought their own music to the band. And there's been this kind of an amalgamation of every type of music, Norwegian, Swedish, a lot of Liz Carl's compositions, Shetland tunes, Donegal tunes, a lot of self-composed tunes by Liz Knowles and myself and everyone. And it's it's just been musically challenging and very good as regards, you know, extending your musical ability as well. I just found it very, very interesting and being out of your comfort zone, it's always very good. When I was speaking to Liz Doherty actually about her music and that she mentioned the She Fiddlers and it sounds like if, as if that was a, a Donegal version of String Sisters. Yes, it, it was an, another one of those ideas, you know. Uh, Tara Conahan came to me about three or four years ago and said, wouldn't it be great to gather all the lady fiddle players here in Donegal and put on a concert for Ergal Arts Festival, which we did. And on that day, there was over a hundred uh, young fiddle players. I think I was the, the oldest. <laughs> uh, 
and I, it was just such a joy and we didn't want to leave it at that. Tara says, this can't just stop, we have to continue. So we made an album last year and the likes of Breach Harper, Liz Doherty, Melanie Hutton, you know, uh, Claire Gallagher, Ashleen Byrne, so many young fiddle players came together and it was just, it's just been a total joy to be honest with you and uh, really enjoying playing with these girls. It's some contrast from your own youth that so many young people are playing traditional music in Donegal. Yes. Oh, it's just incredible. It's like a total turnaround. When I was young, I I wouldn't even admit I played the fiddle to some people <laughs> because they'd only be slagging me off. But now it's kind of seems to be the, the coolest thing ever. Well, isn't and, it fantastic? Um, oh, it's great. It's never been healthier. And what I love about it is every one of them are really zoning in on their own localities. So you have the Northwest Donegal style, you have the Southwest Donegal style, you have the Inish own style and all the East Donegal. So you have all these, you know, areas with their own, own selection of tunes. So it's just amazing. It's just an eye opener for me. And speaking of all those young people playing traditional music, then there was Tea with the Maggies in 2009. Well, that was just so beautiful as well, because when I think of it, if it wasn't for the likes of Moira and Trina and Maya Brennan, I don't think I'd be singing because listening to those girls growing and they're not that o that much older than I am, but they were a huge inspiration when I was young, growing up, singing local songs. You know, they made it kind of acceptable for people of my age to sing and be proud of our locality and of our dialect because you know most most of their songs were in Gaelic and it 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 was just a joy to kind of get together and and sing together and uh, get to know them more and uh, all fun but for you singing actually that's interesting we've spoken about your fiddle playing a lot uh, for you singing then and singing in your native tongue, uh, audiences around the world get that. How do you think that is or why do you think that is? Well, language doesn't seem to be a difficulty at all. Like people are listening now to every type of music, like to, you know, different cultures and different minority music. So, you know, it, it's, it's fantastic to be able to sing Gaelic songs on a world stage. And indeed, to be able to take the tradition of Donegal to the world stage. And speaking of Donegal, we've been challenged, I suppose, technically uh, by the electronics in trying to get through to Donegal in this conversation, Moraid. And we, we <laughs> say thank you for your patience with us. But I have one final question for you, actually. And we've asked everybody this one. Uh, during lockdown, what have you been listening to? Or is there other music outside of your own genre that you look to for a bit of solace and comfort? I've been listening a lot to John Lennon because Nia got an LP of John Lennon's uh, through the post. <laughs> but I have to say I loved uh, Jimmy Smith's uh, and Carly, is it? They had lovely um, videos up of her singing just these gorgeous songs and Jimmy Smith playing away. And uh, I've, been, I've been listening to that a lot and I 
watched uh, Kathy Jordan's um, 100 Days of 100 Songs. I thought she was fantastic to do that as well. Uh, I followed a lot of people and listened to different genres. I, I do listen to different genres all the time, but um, I always go back to Joni Mitchell, though, because I just love her voice and um, listened a lot to young Irish singers like Emma Langford and Lisa O'Neill and all these younger singer-songwriters that are starting, Susan Quirk and Aoife Scott and, you know, Rushy No, we have to mention them all now. Um, they're all doing great work and it's joyous to hear. Well, there's quite a collection of young and up and coming, but you're not the first Donegal person that I've spoken to in this series to mention Johnny Mitchell as, as a go-to uh, singer at this time. Uh, Maureen Ivwenig, we know that you're going to be busy again in 2021 and we wish you the very best with that. We hope you have a lovely Christmas, actually, Nia, yourself and all the Mooney family. Can I just say thanks a million for joining us on the podcast. You're a good sport. <laughs> thanks, Kieran. I hope to see you soon. And thanks for your patience. <laughs> lovely to talk to you. We'll see you at Tradfest, sure. We'll see you at Tradfest. Can't wait. <laughs> Thank you for listening to For Folk's Sake. We look forward to when we're all together again in music at next year's Tradfest, which will take place from January the 27th to the 31st, 2021. And while we're all waiting, I suppose, for the day when it's safe to travel again, you can fill your heart with Ireland by going to ireland.com.